0: There are dozens of genre film festivals around the world and we either can't afford or don't have the time to go to any of them. We're guessing a lot of you are in the same boat and on Cinema where we present Cinema Fantastica, we pick one of these festivals, a year in which it ran, and choose two films that played at that festival to battle against each other. On this episode, we're traveling to the 2014 edition of the Panic Film Festival in Kansas City, Missouri, where we'll be checking out the extremely darkly comedic Israeli horror film, Big Bad Wolves, and Joe Bagos' John Carpenter-influenced science fiction horror, Almost Human. Welcome to Cinema Fantastica, a trip through time and space to the genre film festivals around the globe. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as usual is Der Commissar Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam?
1: I'm okay. How are you, Doug?
0: I'm doing so well. Liam, you know, it's been a little while since we recorded an episode of Cinema Fantastica. There's no specific reason for that. I'm usually the one that tells you, Liam, this is the show that we're doing next. And some of them take a little pause, mostly because we have uh, shows that are more directly focused on a theme Meaning, like a person, and we're you know. And sometimes we have people that we record with, and I want to make sure that they're feeling taken care of and keeping you in the loop and stuff like that. So certain ones might you know fall to the back burner a little bit. But I like this. Ep- I like this show because a, it's a little bit more directly combative since it's pitting you against me. And also, I love genre film festivals. I like how kind of omnipresent. And I honestly, over the even though the pandemic is obviously a bad thing, just gonna put it out there. Pandemic was bad. Um, it did open up some of these festivals a little bit more with online streaming and made them a little bit more accessible.
1: I think that's true. I think um, for me, it's a good way for us not to. You know, when it comes to people right now, our age, who love movies, there's a real inclination to only focus on certain time periods, right? And then when younger people go, oh, here's a movie from 2008 that changed my life we act like they just admitted to eating their own toenails or something right. you know like we we get horrified but the reality is if in the 90s you were like this movie from uh 88 or 78 really affected me nobody would have batted an eye right like it, it's there's there's almost been this while a lot of culture gets compressed when it comes to movie fandom, a lot of and, – and I wouldn't say this is mainstream movie fandom. I would say this is us dorks. A lot of culture has been extended such that we want to pretend that the last 20 years just didn't fucking happen, you know? Right. And mm-hmm. I don't know that that's a universal thing, but it is – it tends to be more common around people that I otherwise agree with their tastes. But then something comes up that was made, say, in 2014, and they're like, why would I even care – why would I know about that, <laughs> let alone care about it? And I'm like – because it's good? I don't know what the fuck to tell you, you know? So for me, I think what this show tends to do, and occasionally we go a little further back, but genre festivals are more of a in prevalence in the last 20 or so years. So we're kind mm-hmm. of forced not to just think about the 70s and the 80s or even the 90s, but to think about things that are maybe a little more recent and give them a chance. Now, sometimes we give things a chance and they're terrible, but that's the risk that you take, right? <laughs> and I'm okay It's also interesting
0: that. to comment on things that are because they're more contemporary, that they exist in the world. Like, one of the movies that we're talking about today just got remade at the beginning of this year. The other uh, movie that we're talking about, that filmmakers continued to make genre films of, of varying quality, but certainly has kept the profile up. So there's a little bit more to chew on in regards to that rather than something that's, you know, 40 years old. Not that those people don't have lengthy careers, but a lot of them have been wrapping things up uh, now that we're in 2023 somehow.
1: Yeah, and I think it also... um It uh, allows us to remind ourselves about things like as people who do occasionally keep up with what's happening currently, sometimes you might get excited about something and then five years later, you don't remember it, you know, and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not worth remembering. It just means that it's, you know, you've been sort of distracted by other things. So this is kind of a fun opportunity to kind of catch up with some of that stuff. Though a lot of times I end up uh, on this particular show watching things with you that maybe I knew the name of, but I never got a chance to see it. And I, sure. think, uh, I think that's the case for both the movies today. I think uh, one of our movies today, Almost Human, I started watching it um, not long after it came out, but it was right after we had Maeve. And so uh, I was so sleep deprived that I slept through the most of the movie, oh. and I only I only realized that watching it for this I was like, oh right, like because the whole beginning I'm like, yep, this is all very familiar, and then at a certain point I was like, I don't remember any of this,
0: and I was like, oh, I must have fallen asleep. <laughs> it's funny because I had seen the movie that you have chosen, Big Bad Wolves, before, um, and I chose the movie I chose confusing it for Joe Vegas's next film, The Mind's Eye, which I saw at oh, Tiffany yes, came yes, out. Yes, 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 yes. And I I only after starting, I was like, oh right, I've never seen this before. <laughs> so but I was still very curious because just like you were saying, we probably all you know the the people in our general circle have a list a thousand movies long uh, of movies that we have heard of and mean to get to eventually but just you know there's just so much shit to fucking watch and especially when you william are being forced to watch stuff you don't even want to watch because of podcasts uh that it's hard to get to sometimes so this is a good opportunity you're right step back a little bit uh, to take them in or reevaluate movies that we've talked about in the past and on this episode liam we're talking about the Panic Fest in Kansas City, Missouri. Have you ever been to Kansas City? You know, I haven't really.
1: I've I've stopped on the way to other places, but I've never spent time there.
0: Hey, I'm Canadian, Liam. I've put this out there a few times on the show. Can you explain something to me? Sure. <laughs> Why is Kansas City in Missouri and not in Kansas? Ah, that's where you're wrong, Doug. Mm. There
1: are two Kansas cities. One is in Missouri, and one is in Kansas, and they are across a river from each other. So oh. in reality, there is one Kansas City that was split by a state line. I say that very confidently. I don't know for sure that that's true, but I know parts of that are true, and I think all of it is true, but I'm not
0: 100% sure. There's a blues song. I'm, actually, I'm sure there's many blues songs about Kansas City, but there's a particularly famous one. Which one are they talking about? Are they talking about the half in Kansas or the one half in Missouri? Probably the Missouri one, right? I, I would guess so. I'm told that the Missouri Kansas City
1: is like the one most people are thinking of. Uh, but I'd, I'll i be honest, I, I don't know for sure.
0: Well Liam, Panic Fest is Kansas City's premier genre festival founded in 2013 by Screenland Theater and Downright Creepy. Uh, and it's one of the top 50 genre movie festivals in the world according to Movie Maker Magazine. I've heard of quite a bit about it. Uh, I was actually you know kind of picking your brain a few weeks ago asking about what genre of film festival we should take a look at next. Panic Fest was one that came to mind. Why did it come to mind? Is this one that you've heard of previously?
1: Yes. So a friend of the show, uh, Nick Spachek, who writes for a few different uh, magazines and has written for CinePunks and now has a show on the CinePunks network called uh, The Carnage Report. He doesn't live in Kansas City, but he's covered Panic Fest a lot because he doesn't live far from Kansas City. I think Mm -hmm. he's in – Lawrence, Kansas, I think. Uh, And then some other uh, uh, people I know through him uh, do live in Kansas City, such as the uh, Nerds of Nostalgia podcast or uh, the uh, uh, Nightmare Junkhead podcast. Those folks are in Kansas City. And so I've heard about Panic Fest a good deal. I also think I think there's an Alamo in Kansas City that does a lot of events with people right. I know. So so it's like it's a it's what I've thought about and when I moved out here to the Midwest, I really was thinking like, Oh, I'll try to go. It's hard because it keeps happening at times when I can't just like take off and go to Kansas City. But I'm hoping if we're still out here <laughs> into the future I can
0: try to go, you know. Is there any period where you could just take off and go to Kansas City? <laughs> I think so. Year. I think so. I think so.
1: I mean, I, I went to a, I went to a horror convention in Minneapolis. That wasn't an easy mm. trek. So Kansas, yeah. City's but you were doing
0: that, that to raise a little money, man. Well,
1: I'm not gonna lie. I'd like to do some selling of some stuff oh, well, in Kansas enough. City too. Yeah,
0: <laughs> uh, Liam. The 2014 edition of Panic Fest, which is what we're going to be talking about today, ran from January 31st until February 2nd. So very short amount of time. I think that's correct. It's a little hard to find information about that particular instance of the festival because it was very early on in its existence. As I said before, it was only founded in 2013. So this is only the second year that it was run. The films shown at that festival, Liam, include, and these are not all uh, contemporary films of the time, 24 Exposures, Almost Human, which we're going to be talking about today, Big Bad Wolves, which we're going to be talking about today, Cannibal Holocaust, uh, Dario Argento's Deep Red, uh, Abel Ferreira's Driller Killer, Ghost in the Shell, Haunt, Here Comes the Devil, Todd Sheets' House of Forbidden Secrets, which I almost picked for us to watch. Knights uh, of Bad Asthem, Pin Up Dolls on Ice, Ray's Serenity, Joss Whedon's Serenity played at it, Spaceballs, Truth or Dare, and Todd Sheets' Legendary Violent New Breed featuring Rudy Ray Moore. Liam, any thoughts on any of these films that were shown that year?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's some uh, great movies on this list. <laughs> Uh, and there's also some stuff that
0: I have never seen <laughs> A lot of detailed thoughts in regards I like the idea, by the way, of genre festivals mixing um, You know, new films that are being shown sometimes for the first time uh, I think the North American premiere of What We Do in the Shadows Was shown first at Panic Fest uh, Probably helped that it, it uh, the festival, at least at some point, was early in the year uh, But also mixing it with like real classics like Deep Red and Cannibal Holocaust Do you know anything about the career of Todd Sheets? I don't, actually. The only reason I do, uh, and I've talked to Todd a number of times, um, is because I, uh, in a past life, and perhaps in a future one as well, I had a podcast called No Budget Nightmares about shot on video and micro-budget and DIY cinema, and Todd Sheets was one of the most prolific 90s and, and late 80s shot on video horror creators. Um, and he has continued to make uh, movies. Not uh, he, his budgets have now risen to allow him to not have to shoot on video. Well, digital video, but it's uh, but the the production values have, have have grown significantly. But a lot of those earlier films they're very interesting. A lot of zombie stuff. You know, at, at a time when people were not really making zombie movies, there were people making shot on video zombie movies, and I've seen quite a few of them, Liam. Do you have any interest in that shot on video zombie movies from the early nineties? Not particularly. <laughs> Well, I have seen a lot and some of them are a lot of fun uh, if you're into that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, I, you got uh, the reason I kind of have, have brought this up, Liam, is that one of the movies that we're going to be talking about today is a very low budget movie and it looks it not as low budget as a shot on movie, video movie from the early 90s, but it looks like a low budget movie. And one of the things I want to talk to you about is how when a movie's production values are very low, how that affects your ability to get into the movie how, how what kind of expectations you have in terms of production values now that we're in the age where you know people have access to high quality digital video for not too much money but we'll get to that in just a little bit before we do i want to ask you liam you've already kind of uh, alluded to it a little bit why did you pick big bad wolves for us to watch today i mean as i
1: yeah i kind of said but I'll, I'll confirm here it's a movie that i had heard of and in fact i had even started in fact The more I think about it, Doug, I think... I had a virtual pass in 2014 Ah. for another festival that wasn't Panic Fest. It might have been Fantastic Fest. It might have been Fantasia Fest. I don't know which one it was, but it was on the virtual uh, fest lineup. And I started it and, for whatever reason, couldn't finish it in the moment and then did not get a chance to get back to it before it went away. And so since then, it's sort of been on my to-watch list of like, ah, I need to watch that sometime. And I just haven't returned to it, and so when we picked the year and the and the fest for this, and I saw it was on the list, I thought now's my chance to like come back to this movie that I never really got to see, you know?
0: Right, absolutely, and and you know, I already, uh, I think I already said, I think we were recording when I said that, that I, um, I confused almost human for the mind's eye, which I saw at Toronto International Film Festival in two thousand again, I think it's two thousand sixteen, but I was always curious about it. My memory was that when it came out it's not that it was this huge sensation that people were like you got to see this but that the general feeling on it was very positive um and in kind of returning to it uh after almost a decade um is it was interesting to see how it kind of stacks up to the, the similar kind of movies that have been made since then because i have this part of me that dislikes movies that are made as kind of direct tributes to other movies or even uh, mashups of other movies. Sometimes they just feel like they're just repeating beats as opposed to coming up with new things. And that is one thing that I wanna get your take on when we talk about the movie proper. So let us take a break. I'm already tired of talking. When we come back, you're gonna take over for a bit, Liam. You're gonna tell me all about 2013's Big Bad Wolves. If you wander off too far, my love
1: will go. This book Israel. left
0: After
1: a little girl is brutally murdered, a suspect avoids arrest due to lack of evidence. Working separately, her father and a cop Decide to do something about it. It's 2013's Big Bad Wolves, uh, co-directed by Eheron Kshalas and Navot Papushado. Uh, ooh, I might have murdered that last name, yeah. but uh, mm. sorry about that. Uh, uh, Kishalis, uh also directed the F is for Falling sequence from the ABCs of Death 2. I never saw 2. Did you see 2, Doug?
0: Yeah, I did. I, I think 2 might be a little better than 1, but those are both very inconsistent uh, films. And 2021 South of Heaven with Jason Sudeikis
1: and Evangeline Lilly. Uh, not only did I not see this, I don't remember this coming out. What the fuck is this?
0: I think it's just one of those, you know, uh, pandemic era movies where it just kind of, fan- I mean, it, I don't know if it was even filmed during the pandemic, but it. yeah, I don't remember hearing about it whatsoever.
1: Uh, Navot Papuchada, that's got to be wrong, uh, directed 2021's Gunpowder Milkshake, can't with that movie not into it uh uh and then both directors are currently working on the film once upon a time in palestine which is apparently a genre bending thriller spaghetti westerns war movies romantic comedies all smushed into one um set in british ruled palestine in 1946 uh they also co-wrote uh this movie um this was quentin tarantino's favorite film of 2013 on uh, and his rave is on the poster. I don't know we'll get into what that's all about. Sure, um, of course. Man, I should have looked up the pronunciation of all the people <laughs> in this movie. We got uh Zai Grad as Gidi, uh Lior Ashkenazi as Mickey, uh Rotem Keenan as Dror, uh Dovale Gleikman as Yoram, uh Manasha Noi as Rami, uh Devere Benedict as Zvika. Uh and, I know, think we can stop there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a, so <laughs> We'll get into this in a second, but I will say, I'm sure saying those names, people are, you know, unless you're familiar with Israeli film, probably not a lot of things necessarily clicked for you. I will say watching this, Doug, a lot of these faces looked familiar to me. And I wonder, uh, A, I haven't seen a ton of Israeli movies, so I wonder if these folks have worked outside of the country before. Because people, it wasn't like, oh, here's a movie full of people that don't, look familiar a lot of these people look familiar to me so I don't know I don't know I didn't know what to make of that
0: I mean, certainly Leora Ashkenazi has been in a number of, of I mean, I will call them Western films uh, and and uh, you know might be familiar from those sort of things. He also looks a little bit like Steve Carell, which is something that distracted me the first time. Oh, I <laughs> interesting. I had not picked up on
1: that, but you're right. You're right. You're right. Well, let's start. You know, you, you this is a movie that you're familiar with. You'd seen it before. This is my first time. I want to start with what did you think both the first time you watched it and on this, you know, second viewing for the podcast?
0: Now – Here's a difficulty that I sometimes have, and I think it's a difficulty that anyone who is, who has a consciousness about the world and also a love of movies, which is that if I was to watch this movie, this, if this exact movie was made in America, then I wouldn't bring so much baggage to it necessarily. Maybe I'd bring different baggage is what I should say. Baggage that I have more familiarity and more knowledge about and this is something that we've talked about in other podcasts before. Where sometimes with international films, you feel like you're getting a hint at something that audiences of that um, of, of the place that in which the film was made would get right away, but maybe you're not necessarily getting all of it. It's not that heavy in this movie. This is a movie that is easily interpreted for the most part by uh, by audiences in the West, uh, in in North America, um, but it also carries because so much of the central aspect of it is about authority figures people in the army people in the police torturing people and what that means and how accurate the information is and the people that they're torturing that's something that when it comes to it being an israeli film is something that can be troublesome but also i think intentionally so so what i should say is when watched as a movie and all the movie tropes and just as a interesting genre movie that has a lot of kind of dark humor in it i think it's really good it's really well made and it's really for me entertaining um but when you kind of expand on that a little bit when you think about it a little bit much I, i said before we started recording that a word that i kept seeing in reviews for it was immoral and I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, because I do think that the movie is taking a very critical eye at the people doing a lot of the acts in it, but I also think that it is a movie that takes a lot of glee in violence, which is not necessarily a bad thing. It might be one of the reasons that Tarantino was uh, was drawn to it. Um, but it also, I think it is meaning to interrogate some of our thoughts regarding um, people of authority, not just in Israel, but, but just generally, who are able to overstep their bounds for whatever reason that they feel that they should. Now, at the center of this, it's about a child murderer, right? I mean, a child rapist and murderer, really one of the most horrible things you can possibly think of. But you're also led to believe that the person that they've captured in this, that the evidence that they have for capturing him is incredibly flimsy. It's never even expanded upon, aside from someone pointed at him and said, I saw him near the, 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 the place where someone was kidnapped. And so it's just like, The final message of it, and I don't necessarily, or the final reveal at the very end of it, and I don't really want to go into that because it's still a movie that I feel like uh, some of the people listening might want to see and maybe haven't at this point. That's where I think I feel most conflicted about it. But I do have to say, while it's going on, and yeah, it's a film I've seen multiple times now, I find it very entertaining. And I have to say, I think it's very clever at times as well. Um, And the way that it integrates humor, it's totally, it's really, it goes all over the place. But it is something that is so unique that I find myself drawn to it.
1: Hmm. That's really interesting, Doug. I think um, I think for now we will put aside the context because sure. mm-hmm. I think that though I do though I don't think we're meant to ultimately, and we'll get there. So if people who are concerned, don't be concerned. It's just it can be a little distracting. For me, the context was a little distracting to some extent. I found myself more distracted by the relationship to violence that you're talking about because I felt like the movie was confused about its relationship to violence. Mm. I I feel like, um, for example, the movie really does begin with the police grabbing this person who, uh, up to this point, you've been given no evidence that this is a right person. This is just some random person that they have. And them just unmercifully beating him in a way that really is never going to lead to a confession, even mm-hmm. if he is the right person. It's just a dumb thing that dumb people do. Sure. And so as soon as the scene starts, I think, oh, these people are assholes. Uh, and, I, I, and I have immediate compassion. Now, I do think the, 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 the um, cleverness of the movie is sort of the playing with our expectations about this – character who is the accused, let's say, uh, so as not to give away the ending. Uh, And we are continually given evidence that maybe he is the guy, and then we're given compelling evidence that probably he isn't the guy, and it goes back and forth on this thing. And I think the movie thinks in playing with those expectations, as well as playing with The character of the police officer in comparison to uh, the father of the murdered girl who is a a former military person. With all of these people, the the movie's uh, uh, very much uh, concealing and revealing things at various times with some sort of effectiveness to kind of upend our audience expectations. Uh, For me, Doug, I found it all a, a bit too clever a bit too mm, clever for its I own see. good. Mm-hmm. I felt like it was wasn't nearly as smart as a, as it thought it was. Um that the violence was confusing because it wasn't it was done in a way at times that maybe it could be funny but all of it felt a little too brutally realistic to be funny for me. Oh
0: sure. Yeah, I actually think that that might be intentional as well, right? That's that tonal shift where it's just like a character <sighs> especially and I, I you know, it, especially when they introduce um yoram the the father of the the of gidi the the military guy who you know just he shows up at this house that they're torturing this guy in does not not know anything about what his son is up to and then when he realizes when he discovers what's going on he decides to become part of it as well and his perspective you know then you realize you discover all of a sudden that he has this background in torture that he knows how to do it and he's willing to go along with it and he For him, it's like the most natural thing in the world. But when he takes out that blowtorch, I mean, that burning sequence is not meant to be funny. It's meant to be fucking horrific, right?
1: A lot of that stuff to me didn't feel insightful. It just felt confused. Hmm. And, you know, the the extent to which this gets a big old stamp from Tarantino, it kind of like felt weird to me because I, I felt like this reminded me of a lot of... Tarantino ripoff movies, where mm. it wanted to be cool and have like cool, insightful dialogue, but the story didn't feel like it was going anywhere to me. It all it felt like there was a certain amount of wheel spinning happening, sure, um, just so that we could get the manner of dramatic ending that we got, which again we we won't necessarily go into. I will say I, I agree with you that the ending complicates the message of the film, perhaps. But I do think when you take all this stuff that I thought was not clear, or maybe very sort of technically well executed, but I think um, was confused as to what we were supposed to be feeling or thinking, then you add in the context that it's in as another complicating layer, I think at my most generous reading, I think maybe all that's okay, because it's a film by someone who is conflicted, uh, as I think many people who live in Israel are conflicted, because it is a movie in which it feels like maybe the cops are bad at what they do. And and honestly, a lot of people in the movie are not putting a lot of trust in these police officers, and we don't see a lot of reason to put Trust in them, and maybe the folks who serve in the army do learn how to do awful things that officially don't happen. But we all know, uh, you know, in the country, everyone knows actually happens, but officially they don't happen, right? And the movie affirms that they happen. But I think also uh, the movie doesn't want to say that all of that is different than what the world needs. It, It it almost feels like the context is essential for understanding the movie because perhaps the movie is saying that the whole world is all of these big, bad wolves walking around, flexing their authority and violence. Sure. Mm-hmm. And that's just what it is. And and to criticize these uh, predators for even existing is perhaps missing the point, which is sort of seems wh- where the movie's going. I, I to, I got to say, though, Doug, that's actually my most generous reading. Sure. My less generous reading is that the context is just another thing that the movie doesn't know what the fuck to do with. (laughs) And I suspect that maybe the makers of the movie, it never even occurred to them that some people watching this might go, what the fuck is this? Because honestly, I I, I wonder if I lived in Israel and I was watching this movie, if I might feel differently because – I wouldn't expect the movie to be clear about what it thinks. Like, uh, well, I,
0: one thing I should mention I don't know if you are aware of this, Liam. And I don't think it was the case when this movie came out. But Quentin, Quentin Tarantino lives in Israel now. Um, oh, is that true? Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. I, I didn't. So know I don't that. know if that I, that plays into anything in regards to what we're saying either.
1: I love that he's running the New Beverly from Israel. Like, okay. <laughs> <clears throat> um, no, no, no. But I, it, it, what I mean by that is. My least generous reading is that the movie doesn't have a perspective on all this violence, right? because I think the narrative doesn't come down in a strong way per se though there are moments that criticize like as as I, I think it's worth pointing out that uh, the way that so uh, we gotta say a little bit more of the plot here sure. the the father of this murdered daughter, right. Uh, has purchased a home not to live in, but simply to torture this suspect in, to find out, uh, honestly, where his daughter's head is. Because when the victims of this killer are found, they're without a head. And so I guess he's also, just like the police, bought into the idea that this man is definitely the one who did it. And so he's going to torture him to find out where his daughter's head is buried. And he purchases a home in an area that is near... um, Arab villages in Israel, yes. and that that we are given a lot of commentary about that. That the house is less valuable. That it's perhaps dangerous there. That um, it's weird to interact with uh, people who live near there. At one point, the police character is interacting with one of uh, the residents of the village, and the guy's asking him like, "Oh, you think I don't have a cell phone because I'm an Arab and I'm somehow backwards?" Like, there's all this like commentary from the movie about this tense situation between the Jewish residents of Israel and the uh, Arab residents of Israel. Uh, But it's not clear that acknowledging that tension and even maybe suggesting that the prejudices that come with that tension are unjustified, that doesn't necessarily, to me, qualify as commentary on the situation per se.
0: I mean, yes and no, though, right? I mean, the fact that the the gentleman on the horse that you're talking about is just so laid back, like he's almost – He's almost asleep, he's so laid back While you have these these incredibly tension-filled characters At the core of this movie I do think it, yeah, you're right I think it's a light statement But I do think it's a statement all the same I also think, you know, it's so strange When we're bringing all of this baggage Even if it's intentionally put into the film To a movie that's made in Israel That we wouldn't make Say if this movie was a Canadian movie instead Right? Sure, right I mean, there's lots of really terrible shit That happens in Canada That Americans have no idea about and it and but that, you know it isn't one of those things where you think about it all the time or it makes you angry all the time or you're arguing about it on social media all the time so if you know it, it, people might see a movie like Blood Quantum which is you know it's uh, specifically about indigenous people in this country and not necessarily see all of the um the statements that that movie is trying to make and they don't have to so we are kind of coming at this from a, a place of um we're picking up on messages which for its intended audience might be a little clearer than they are for us. But I still think you're right, though, which is that this is a movie that does clearly show or clearly say these police are thugs. They're not They're not trying to say otherwise. I don't think that they're trying to suggest that their methods are justified in any way. I think it's trying to condemn how the police approach things. But when it comes to the uh, the character of uh, geedy it's a little more sympathetic, right? Because his daughter's been killed. He is obviously traumatized by it. And he's trying to get some uh, some closure in a way that's a little bit more understandable. And that's why, and he's a less of a comedic character, uh, you know, kind of overtly as well. And that's where the movie gets a little con- confused, I think, because it's like, well, we like, we, we want him to get the answers that he wants. We don't agree with his methods. Maybe our own confliction is part of what the movie is trying to, kind of uh, um, uh, push out into the world.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess that's... I I mean, maybe I'm not being clear. I'm doing the opposite, Doug. I'm saying if this film isn't Israeli, then I'm writing it off as a piece of shit, top to bottom. Interesting. It's only because I think it has a complicated relationship with the context that I think that maybe it's doing more than is obvious. Um, Because I think that the confused tone, which I am just straight up gonna say is not well done. It's confusing. Is less confusing if it's within a if, if if it's meant to be a commentary not just on the loss of a father, but on a society that is marked by loss and maybe is turning towards things that are reprehensible. And the movie is really clear. On one hand, the most relatable character in some ways is the father, just in the sense of when he's not torturing this guy, he's not like a total fuck up asshole. He's kind of just a guy. Whereas the cop, as much as the cop is handsome and kind of funny, he's a piece of shit. Like the movie yeah. is really clear that he sucks top to bottom. So this army, uh, this former army guy and his, you know, silly dad is the most kind of relatable. And he is very comedic about his mom. And that's one of the places where the movie can be confusing for people because we see him relentlessly torture a man and then like, you know, basically
0: grovel to his mom. Yeah, constantly but, being interrupted by, like, family things. That, yes, are, yeah, yes, 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 sitcoms. yes,
1: yes, Well, and I think the mom thing is is kind of a very uh, community joke, right, that she has mm-hmm. all this power over him, and he's, he, he's almost afraid of his mom to a certain yeah. extent. And this is a scary man, right? Uh, <clears throat> but I think when you start to think about the ways that the film – Keeps reminding you, it's not a, it's not a forgotten detail that him and his father have served, and they're both really clear that they learned how to do this kind of torture in the army. You, that's intentional, right? We're that's supposed to be on our minds. That makes it feel actually for me, Doug, a little less confused because maybe it is. Maybe not making a what we would call a direct political statement. I don't know that the film has a secret message about the IDF or some shit like that. Sure. But I do think it is reflecting maybe some of the anxieties that people in that country feel. I think if you take all of this, not just plot, but tone, and you transcribe it onto a different country, I think it becomes a much more of a mess to me where I think it just doesn't fucking work for me because it does, doesn't feel like it knows what it's trying to do in this sense saying, Oh, this is a movie. It involves a lot of the political machinations of Israel without ever directly addressing the Israel Palestine situation. You know, like we, we have an Arab character, but there's no mention of, uh, you know, the occupation or anything like that. That's not what the movie is dealing with, right. but it does seem to be dealing with the question of is violence inherent to the authority of our society. Everyone with authority in this movie exercises violence. And in fact, even our suspect is a figure of some authority as a teacher, right? Right. And there's a sense in which, um, is, is this character,
0: I don't want to spoil anything, but, um, there are think, some... Honestly, our dancing around it has already spoiled it to a certain extent. I yeah, think. I think that's right. I think that's right.
1: So I'm just going to say the the final big reveal of the movie is that he is actually the killer. Bada bing, bada boom, there it is. And uh, there's a lot of moments, Doug, where I really thought he wasn't going to be the killer. And then a lot of other moments where I thought he's got to be the fucking guy. Like he's got to yeah. be the guy. So I will say it does a good job of like – messing with you a little bit on that end I don't think it's always obvious what the reveal is going to be uh, but it, when it did reveal you know I knew that's what it was going to be when it did reveal it but there's a there's a conversation sort of put forth in the movie that maybe this guy's motivation is that in enacting violence on these other children he will not enact violence on his own child right that his darkness is saved for other people. Mm. <clears throat> I'd be really surprised if that wasn't meant as a metaphor for other things. Right. If that's just about him and not about a society that is avoiding violence by enacting violence. I really do think that's a bit of what's going on here. I don't know that it makes the movie better for me. And again, I'm being hard on the movie only because I think at its core... It, there's a good movie in here. I just think the tonal shifts are meant to be amusing. Like, we've asked a lot of the audience. We've been really dark for a bit. So now we're going to do a whole comedic sequence with, the, mm, with his mom. I see. Now we're going to drug his dad, and his dad's going to fall over, and it's going to be hilarious. And, like, I just think, like, the tone of the darker bits – And the tone of the funny bits—they don't mesh very well for me. And in the end, because the movie I think is ideologically confused, it makes the whole movie a little muddy to me. But I also think that in a culture like in Israel, like I'm not surprised that you'd make a movie that's a bit like—I don't know how to feel about all this violence, right? Like in the end, the movie's like maybe they were right to kill this motherfucker because he is the guy, right? Like that's what the end of the movie seems to suggest. But also in all that hurting and murdering, they didn't save. The
0: girl, right? I think that, honestly, I, think that, I don't think the fact that he died, I don't think that's the point. I mean, the it's point is It's more that they didn't save the girl. They, they didn't save anybody, right? They didn't get any information whatsoever, and they did did all of this, and all they got was heartbreak out of it. I think the movie comes really clearly uh, down against torture. But just going back to your idea of the tonal shifts, I think that that's an intentional choice meant to represent— what these characters do right they're right, they're, right. they're they ha- they he has a life with his mother right and his father and and they have a normal relationship where they bring him chicken soup when he's sick and you know they have this clear loving relationship and he's ta- he talks not only about his guilt because of what he was doing when his daughter was killed which is that he was sleeping with a secretary but that he says you know he doesn't go into detail but he says i've done terrible things and he knows he's done terrible things but you can then just go back to your everyday life, just like the cop. He has a family and a daughter, even though uh, we don't really see much of her uh, or or that relationship. But we know it's troubled. But it's just like they exist in these multiple worlds all at once. They go from torturing people to just you know having everyday life conversations that are kind of goofy and silly. I do think you're right that the shifts can be a little bit head spinning at times. I think it's movie.
1: because I think the moments that aren't comedic – They read to me, Doug, and maybe this is just my bias as a film watcher. To self, it's not just that they're dark, they feel self serious, they feel like they're trying to be a little bit more almost intense in a prestigious way. This Mm. is not, there are plenty of movies with mean, cruel violence that feel. I don't know. Like I don't want to say silly, but they they don't feel so self-serious. They don't feel right. like so dramatic. And I I I don't feel like the that you need. If you're going to switch gears, that's fine. And I do like the conflict that that could create, but for me what made the comedic sections not comedic at all and really confusing is how serious the other parts were and I I really don't think it helps, though. I think the actor who plays the cop is great. Like, I think he's actually a really good performer. Yeah, yeah. I think that character just isn't compelling. And so I'm left only to identify with this army guy. And I just had trouble that he was the only, I, I mean, I guess his dad too. But his dad is like kind of a one note joke to me like I don't feel like there's much of a character there for his dad. I really feel like the the most cuz uh, so we have the the teacher, the accused who turns out to be the killer. He's nothing. He doesn't even exist. Like that that there's like we're not given enough of that guy to know one way or the other. And I think partly that's because The movie's worried if they give us too much of that guy, then we're going to get a feeling one way or the other. Like, they are they keep him a mystery so that we're guessing, right? Right. So then we're given the cop, who's a full character, and he sucks, and uh, he gets on my nerves. And then we're given the father, who is, I also think, you know, a pretty full character. But I just, I I don't know. Something about him being the only character that, like, I kind of felt like, okay, I kind of know what what this guy's about. It just made the movie less... Interesting for me, and that that was a bummer. Again, I, I I think the reason I'm so disappointed, I should really be clear here, is that most people I know are, when this came out were fucking hyped on it. Like people, yeah, yeah. goddamn, love this movie, and I went in like really like I'm so glad I picked this. Fuck Doug, you know <laughs> I'm so. I'm so glad I got this good movie and Doug picked this other movie. And like, I love Joe Vegas uh, and I love Josh. I actually have hung out with Josh at Fantastic Fest before. I talk to him occasionally on Twitter. He's, he's, a, he's a nice dude. Uh, but I went in kind of thinking my movie's definitely going to be better than the movie Doug picked. Like 100%. This is going to be it. And I still think technically it's better. Well,
0: but, technically it absolutely is better. Yeah, it's just so who... much
1: more well, you know, well made. I don't know that I really enjoyed it as much as I thought I would, which is not the movie's fault. I set a bar too high. That's not the movie's fault. I just – the reason I'm so frustrated is I really think it could have been one of the my favorite movies, period. It's just so much about it is so well done, but I just had trouble connecting with it in a way yeah. such that the big reveal at the end – it felt anticlimactic to me, even though it it was what by that point I was so invested in the idea that this was what it was, especially the way they play the last moments of the of the accused, right. uh, that I like all, it was a confirmation of what I you know what I needed it to be. But I I just was disappointed, man. I didn't feel like it all sort of hung together for me, and and that's I'm being unfair, I think. But that's just was my response to it. Now, granted, would I watch it again later on just to see if maybe now that I know it plays a little differently? I think I would. I think I would give this movie another chance. But at the moment, um, you, you, you've you said before, but I, I just want to reiterate. Doug, do you think of this as primarily a dark comedy or do you think of it as a comedic police thriller? I don't even know if
0: I'd go with police thriller. I right, said horror right. film at the beginning of the of the okay. episode. Oh, and comedic I
1: think- horror film. Okay, okay.
0: But I mean that. If you tell someone this is a comedic horror film, that is not necessarily going to give them the idea of what. Let me tell you about my favorite part of the movie. The favorite thing that happens, sure, which gives a really good impression of of the tone of this movie, which is that you have uh, Giddy, whose daughter has been murdered, he's torturing this guy in the basement of this house that he's purchased. Um, uh, Mickey, the the cop. He, at first, agrees to help him, uh, agrees, at, at gunpoint. But then, you know, he, he can't stomach it, and he gets kind of chained up down in this basement as well. Giddy is eventually um, told by the person being tortured, um, just, to, just because the guy being tortured is going to be killed, and he knows it, that that the head of his daughter is in a certain place. He's doing it just to buy time. And that leaves these two men, one being tortured and the cop, with Yoram, who is Giddy's father, who is also helped now, with the torturing we've seen that he is has a cigarette hid in his shoe and he smokes it even though he's not supposed to smoke cigarettes his wife doesn't like him doing it his wife calls him on the phone and he talks to his wife while these two men you know with it one with his his fucking fingers broken and his toenails ripped out right in front of him in the cop and his wife asks him if he's been smoking cigarettes and he goes no of course not and then he puts his fingers to his lips like don't tell like like this comical don't tell to the men who he's been torturing and he is going to kill one of them. Right. And it's just that to me, it's like, it it kind of encompasses the tone that this movie has, which is that it's an impossible tone. Like the darkness is as dark as it can get. And the comedy is very goofy sometimes. And I can see what you're saying. That is, it could be a real toxic mix. It works for me mostly because I, I, it's so wild right that the idea that someone would even think to do something like this but it also it's i could see it being also offensive depending on your interpretation of what comes out of this and it all kind of um my my thoughts you know they spin around a little bit you can tell when we're talking about it that we're both trying to read into it but it's that ending that really kind of crystallizes it because if (laughs) they're torturing someone and not getting any information but the person they're torturing is guilty is the person who did it and that's a that's a hard thing to kind of stomach when you get to the end of it.
1: Yeah, and I think I guess it to some extent for this movie to work for me, Doug, I do need it to have a perspective on violence. And I and I I am somewhat uh distracted by the context because they bring it up so much it's it's very much the the both the police state and the military apparatus of Israel is present in this movie it's
0: it's funny Liam on our on your discussion point you've written did you at all find yourself thinking about Israel and it's funny because both of us thought of almost nothing but that the entire time we were watching well this. what i was going <laughs> what i
1: was going to say is i wanted to have that perspective and i think it, the perspective kind of makes sense to me within that context um but i think that outside of that context there is and I think you pointed this out, but let's be really clear. It's not that the military or the police state in Israel is utterly different in every way than our own countries that we come from, right? You could make a movie like this in America easily. You could easily do it. My question is, for me, does this movie have a perspective that if I saw it in an American context, I'd be okay with it? And I think that... In the US, there have been movies that maybe had themes like this that were this in my mind clear about the clear about the darkness, but unclear about what to think of it, in my mind. Because I'm a little less convinced that the movie has a clear perspective mm-hmm. on what any of this is about. And in an American context. I fucking hate this movie, Doug. Robert. I'm like, oh, what a well-made piece of shit. You can eat my ass. You know, like I'm just—I'd be really mad. I think it's the context, though. It was hard to see past, and I don't want to judge it purely on it being uh, an Israeli film. It kind of makes a little sense to me because I think that um, it makes sense that like there's a feeling of we're on the edge here, and we need to we need to figure out what we're doing. Uh, that maybe I could like. Kind of be understanding of, even if on a political basis, I don't really agree with a lot of what's happening in that nation. I can still see like the perspective going on here of this question is a little more ambivalent. I think in a US context, the ambivalence that I'm feeling the movie has about violence, where it's like it's gross. But like, I mean, come on, it's not, it's, it's just what's happening. We all know what's happening, so whatever. I, I think that level of ambivalence kind of rubs me the wrong way a little bit. You know what sure. I mean? And then I, because I, I basically want the movie to either go the other direction and be like, it's not that bad, this is just what we have to do because this guy's a monster. Or really, I think, delve harder into the idea that this is a room full of monsters, right? Like, all the men we see who are present enough in the movie that we remember who they are, are monsters, right? Like, we are not presented with anyone who is normal. I guess there's one cop early on in the movie who we see a couple of times later who seems not to give a fuck much about anything, so much so that when we see he's the one looking for the the stolen girl, we know she's not going to get found because he just doesn't seem to give a fuck about anything. So, like... That guy, I guess, might be a human being. He's just bad
0: at his job. But- it's, like it's the passivity, right? That's the right. only thing that, that keeps them human, which is like, I mean, that's that's a pretty damning statement, too.
1: I mean, even with the cop, right, the scene that really got me that this movie felt confused to me is the cop is, on one hand, 100% sure that's what what's happening to the suspect is wrong. He's like, this is not right. This is not sh- what should be happening. On the other hand, he's not convinced that this guy isn't a child murderer and rapist, so he's unwilling to free him. So he's just like, ah, fuck it. I'm just going to go. You can figure it out on your own. And I thought, yeah, that's what this movie is, honestly. And it really kind of like – it made me feel less excited about the movie, even though, again, we're not describing a bad movie in the sense of I think what some some people might feel, which is like – Poorly executed. This movie is super well executed. It is, I the think, a very... The soundtrack is amazing.
0: I mean, it's, it's a, a really good soundtrack. Yeah,
1: it's a very tight film. It's well edited. It's well acted. I just think that it it is really clear that the actions in the film are bad, but it, it doesn't feel clear to me about why or what to do about it or that any of it matters. It kind of feels like this is just what it is. It's all bad all the way down, and that was just less fun for me in a movie that wants to be... Fun and serious at the same time, right? Right. Yeah, and honestly, that was my thing. Like when I saw all the rave stuff from Tarantino, I'm like, "Well, Tarantino kind of likes things that are both serious and not serious at the same time." So I kind of get that. I also think a little too much talky talky in this movie that doesn't really mean anything, right? Like, there's a lot of talking in the movie when there could be more development of the plot. And uh and I I thought that was that of other than the violence, the thing that felt Tarantino to me was that the script needed a, a little bit of an edit, personally. That was just my one other personal <laughs> critique is that, that 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 they that was a common thing between the two the these filmmakers and Tarantino.
0: Well fair
1: enough. Oh wow. All right, any any final thoughts? I mean <laughs> I don't want to spend too much time. I, too late. S- I know we talked about this movie too much. I'm sorry, y'all. I just, th- I just think it's, it's, it's really interesting to think about it in the context. But to admit, like, as much as I have, you know, I, and I think it's okay to have strong political opinions about the overall meta situation. I don't know really what that means for art in the context of the country. I don't know if maybe the people who made this movie. Don't want us to be thinking about the police state or the military state. I don't know why they would make it such a present part of the movie then, but it's very possible that that, that's, that wasn't on their minds at all. That wasn't what they were hoping we would pick up on it. It just feels very present to me. And I thought that was interesting, but I also thought that it wasn't clear the movie was. Uh, it wasn't clear that the makers of the film knew what they wanted to say about violence, though they use it a lot in the movie.
0: You know? I mean, the thing is, I, they obviously wanted people to talk about the idea of people in positions of authority overreaching. Right. I mean, that's what even the title alludes to that. I mean, the fact that one of the filmmakers themselves was a member of the IDF. I mean, a lot of people are because they have to be in Israel. I mean, he obviously has firsthand experience about some of the things that he's talking about. Probably, you know, I just, I don't want to, it's obviously, and I think to anyone listening that you and I have very similar thoughts and feelings in regards to, um, the kind of things that are being commented on and the fact that this is an Israeli film generally and all, you know, I think we're very, we have similar perspectives on that. I think we're, we're also dealing and struggling a little bit with the idea. That's like, Hey, this movie has to be about these things in a way that we wouldn't be thinking those things necessarily if the movie was from somewhere else, but this movie does invite it. So I think it's very fair to be talking about it. I just think that the movie, it might be a little bit confused. I still think that it comes down on a, um, on a side that does condemn a lot of the things that we ourselves would condemn as well. It just doesn't do it maybe as hard as either of us would like.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I guess that's the that's the place where I'm not sure. But then again, I mean, people should see it for themselves and decide because I, I don't think most people will watch this and be like, Oh, that sucked. What a waste of time. I think they'll just feel either sold on it a little more like you are, like, oh, that's really great, or maybe a little bit like unsure if it really sticks the landing, let's say. Uh, but I'm not sad I watched it at all. I just was, you know, I was really hoping to be as swept away with it as I know a lot of other people were. And it, it just wasn't that for me.
0: Yeah. I will say that its reputation, when it came out, you're right. A lot of people were talking about it. It feels like not a lot of people have been talking about it since. I think that's a common thing.
1: Well, we don't need to get into that too much here, yeah, yeah. but I think that is a common thing with festival movies, right? Yeah. Everyone gets excited. They want, can't wait to see it themselves, but then it gets replaced by whatever the next
0: new thing is, you know? Yeah. That's true. All right, let's take a break, Liam. When we come back, a very similar movie. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about uh, Joe Vegas' Almost Human. We now have confirmation the entire county went completely dark. (laughs) Residents reported seeing lights in the sky. It has now been five days since the disappearance of Mark Fisher. (laughs) Police say there are still no leads in this case and no clues have been uncovered. Mark? It's here. (laughs) Ah! There's nothing extraterrestrial about these events. Is that a body?
1: Yeah, it's gotta be.
0: Where are we? I need to get to Patton.
1: Dude, did you hear? What? About the murders. How was he killed? Ed was blown right the fuck off. No! I
0: think it has to do with Mark.
1: Mark Seth, Would you listen to me?
0: Mark Fisher disappeared from his home in a brilliant flash of blue light almost two years ago. His friend Seth Hampton was the last to see him alive. Now a string of grisly violent murders leads Seth to believe that Mark is back and something evil is inside of him. It's Almost Human from the year 2013, directed by Joe Vegas. This was his first feature. It was followed uh, in just a couple of years by The Mind's Eye, which I mentioned earlier. 2019's Bliss and VFW, both in the same year, and the uh, recent Christmas horror film, Christmas, Bloody Christmas. Written by Joe Vegas as well, starring Graham Skipper as Seth Hampton, uh, Josh Ethier as Mark Fisher, Vanessa Lay as Jen Craven. Uh, and, uh, I mean, those are the three main characters, the only ones we really have to uh, be be concerned with in regards to the film. Uh, it's very much a riff on John Carpenter, even uses the John Carpenter font in the opening credits. Uh, has kind of an Invasion of the Body Snatchers vibe obviously very low budget a lot of shaky handheld stuff made it in, in I think in like 18 days it was shot in um, a lot of unprofessional actors uh, clearly in the uh, in the cast but uh, that that can be a vibe that some people go for some people don't Liam knowing that you you know you have some thoughts on the people involved with this movie uh, you're probably familiar with some of their other films what did you think of almost human it's fine. Uh, Well, thanks for coming out (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah. No, I,
1: you know, I I had heard mixed things about it I know some people really like it And some people felt it was a bit kind of overhyped Because I think folks were just excited to see something that was, you know, I don't know John Carpenter influence, indie, very low budget, whatever. And I got to say, compared to some other low budget things I've seen, I do think it's uh, more well done than other things I've seen that are kind of comparable. Uh, But, you know, it's funny, the John Carpenter thing, if you take away one or two details from it, right? Right. It doesn't feel that John
0: Carpenter to me. I have to agree with you. I, but the soundtrack does. Certainly. Sure, it's got that yeah. kind of thumping, and specifically the thing soundtrack, I should say. Yes, um, but but you're right. It, it, it tonally, I don't think it feels. For one thing, there's no humor in this whatsoever, and no. John Carpenter's movies always have. Even the thing has a lot of humor in it. So right. yeah, it's yeah, it's a little dour, I have to say. Uh,
1: you know, it it doesn't have the same sort of leaps in practical effects. It has an alien thing going on, but it feels more, like you said, Invasion of the Body Snatchers than the thing, right? Mm-hmm. And then even the way most of the action goes, I guess you could compare it to Halloween, only uh Josh as a killer is nothing like the shape. You know no. what I mean? He's he the way he moves, what he's doing. It's it it honestly feels like more at sometimes like an action movie than it even does like a horror movie. You know, mm. like just the way that the that the that the the kills are shot and stuff. Uh, that being said, you know, it, it, this is a shoestring movie, and yeah. and it you feel it, but you don't feel it in a way where everything is terrible. I will say there are a couple of performances in the movie that feel rough they feel real rough to me tell but, me more oh man uh now let, let's say uh i'm trying to remember his terrible name but her new boyfriend what is his oh, name Chet yes. or chad or something mm. that dude the, he's only on screen for a little
0: bit but he sucks, he sucks. Just. that part where he, he's introduced he's talking out the car window he's real bad real bad. oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah
1: um and she is not the best honestly i think um you know, not terrible, but I don't know that she uh, – I, I, I don't know that she could have been like – because in theory, either Graham or Vanessa Lee could have been the focus, right? Because they're both related, right. to, But I think, though uh, – I don't know that Graham Skipper's is one of my favorite actors. I think he carries it better than she does. There's a few scenes she has here where – I don't know if she needed another take or something, but she just does not sell. Now, granted, I don't know that all the dialogue makes sense. Like some of the scenes, like she's totally skeptical of Seth, you know, like Jen just doesn't believe Seth at all. But then he'll say certain things where suddenly she seems a little more, I don't know, interested in what he's saying in a way that doesn't make sense for the level of incredulity she had just, like, one sentence ago, you know? Uh, so so in those ways, it's kind of rough. Like, I don't know that all of those interactions make sense. On the other hand, a lot of it's just, like, Josh walking around looking menacing and killing people. Yeah. All of that's fine. Like, I don't think, like, I, I've seen movies that have, nothing but that like where there's no viable dialogue it's just people walking around and, and and chopping people that are i think way less well executed than this is so overall i thought it was fine it's definitely a first feature i'm glad that they've learned things since they made this i don't think anything about this would have told me that these folks were going to make bliss later which is one of my favorite uh Bigos films right i'm
0: like, a little i mean I mean, I'm right there with you, but I should, in defense of Vanessa Late, she has to do a lot more emotional work in this than anybody else in the entire But movie.
1: some of those line reads, man, I mean, no, I think she I could have done better. I think they just went with, 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 I don't know why, there could have been all kinds of reasons, but some of the line reads they went with from her were fucking
0: awkward. I agree, and honestly, I think the writing is what's let, let some of these yes, people down. Yes, I agree, I agree. Um, I'm a little surprised that this movie got so much traction at festivals. Not that this isn't a unique movie. It, it is, but it's, you know, the, the, it, this movie got, you know, it premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival. It played it, obviously, at Panic Fest that we're talking about here. It just, it doesn't seem that much more accomplished than a lot of other films um, from this time period doing similar things, and maybe even a little worse than, you know, I always compare it to, like, Astron 6's films of this time period where they're do- working with similar budgets and similar, like, production values, and they just seem to be doing so much more Um, but I mean, obviously there was reason to see talent in this Joe Vegas is, and and not just Joe, a lot of the people involved with this went on to do uh, a lot more interesting work than this. What do you think about Joe Vegas as a director? You mentioned, so bliss is one of your favorites. Have you seen any of his other films?
1: I think I've seen most of them. It's funny enough, the one that you mentioned is one of the ones I've never seen, which is The Mind's Eye. I've never seen that.
0: It's basically Um, like a straight-up remake of Scanners, even to the point where there's like a bunch of snow everywhere. (laughs) made me feel comfortable as a Canadian to watch it. uh,
1: But yeah, I've definitely seen his other films. I think Bliss is the one that stands out to me the most. Um, I liked the recent Christmas one they did, which is...
0: What is that one called? Christmas Bloody Christmas? Yeah, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I
1: couldn't remember the name exactly. I was like, it's... it's I, right
0: here in the document that you're looking at right this very I second. I don't have time to look at the documents, Doug. <laughs> um, yeah, I liked Christmas Bloody
1: Christmas. I thought that was all right. Uh, VFW was also fine. Uh, Bliss just felt like it was them trying something different. Right. And I think it worked for that. And I kind of would like to see more of that from them, whereas... Uh, Christmas Bloody Christmas to me felt like just a more well-executed version of other things that they've done. So I think it was better than, say, this movie, obviously, but I don't know that it like was a different direction from them. But still, it was it, a lot of fun to watch.
0: He is one of those rare examples of a, a director working in genre – who has really kind of stayed in his lane to a certain extent where he's just, he's like pumping them out. Right. they are all films of, of a, at least a median quality or above the, you know, the, the production values are increasing. The performances, like the, the, the quality of the actors is increasing, but it's, you know, these are still low budget horror movies for the most part that he's making. I did, do remember that there was some trouble on the set of VFW, which has kind of soured me on ever checking that out.
1: Yeah. I saw it before any of that came out, but yes, it's, it's been a, uh... It's been a thing, from what I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I do have mentioned in our notes here that both of the films, probably the only thing that's similar at all about the two films that we're talking about today, is that they both feature characters having their necks slit by rusty hacksaws, Liam. What do you think about that?
1: That's interesting. I did not realize that.
0: Um, what do you think about the gore in this generally?
1: I thought it was all right. I don't think it was... Uh, it, it, Like I said, I don't know that it was an explosion of practical effects, but I think the things that we saw were pretty good um and i don't know that i needed more per se i i i kind of go back and forth on gore as a selling point um i wanted to suggest going back to a question that you had asked I, i had to look it up to figure it out i do wonder to what extent um this movie got more attention because josh was kind of known already as an editor like, he had, he had edited other movies before this one. Not a lot, but a few. So I wonder if maybe his name was kind of out there a little bit, and that sort of got some more people interested. Especially because, like, being at a festival with those uh, dudes, they uh, they very much are the kind of people who, like, get to know other people at the festival. You know what I mean? So I'm sure that ability to, like, not just be there for your movie, but to be friendly and interacting and, like... Hanging out with people, I'm sure. I I don't know that people want to hear that, but it is a skill that will help you in other ways. You know,
0: absolutely. And and honestly, and the social media aspect as well, right? I mean, yep. both of them are yep. are uh, and 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 developing. I mean, that's just the way things work these days. You got to reach out. You got to get your name out there. And the fact is, we've seen multiple movies by a low budget filmmaker where there's there's lots of filmmakers working with similar budgets and similar production values. Maybe in some cases, similar quality that we just haven't heard of. Liam, I mentioned Todd Sheets earlier and how he got his start making shot on video horror throughout the 80s and 90s. One of the things that typifies those movies is that they're really just trying to recreate the kind of movies that they love, that the people who made them love. So there's Ami movies, so there's all these references to Romero, right? Maybe, maybe there's a character named Romero, and there's lots of references to Lucio Fulci. There's even more shot on video slasher movies, which are basically just really poor attempts to recreate Halloween or Friday the 13th. There's tons and tons of them. They come out every year. You can find a bunch of them on Tubi if you want to write this very second. What do you think about movies that are so overtly trying to pay tribute to other movies? There's a character here called Craven. There's other characters that suggest. I think there's one um, that, um, that, that maybe brings to mind um, uh, different effects uh, artists. There's The fact that the movie takes place in Derry, or at least part of it does, which is, uh, of course, the location from uh, Stephen King's novels. When a movie is so overtly trying to pay tribute, is that something that you find distracting when you watch a movie? Or does does it not bother you at all?
1: Um, It only bothers me if it is paying tribute in the context of the movie itself, such that um, it feels like it's just repeating another movie. Like you, you, You don't win points by just copying someone else's work right like there needs to be something that is your own for for the thing but the idea of like references that maybe are less obvious to people who don't know the thing but would be obvious to people who do know the thing, um, that's throughout the history of horror movies, right? Like some of my favorite directors paid tribute to other directors, you know, and um, made choices that were clearly related to their love of other movies. And so that in and of itself doesn't bother me, I guess, if it feels – too obvious it could be distracting you know but that also depends i guess it comes
0: down to like whether it's inviting comparison right when you see the john carpenter font at the beginning of this you're like oh so this is going to be like a john carpenter movie and as you pointed out visually it's not like a john carpenter movie right tonally it's not like a john carpenter movie so then you're like well it didn't give me what i was expecting and that could be kind of disappointing
1: i that didn't even occur to me in fact i felt the exact opposite i felt like Oh, thank God this is not anything like a John Carpenter movie. Because I thought <laughs> if it was trying to be like a John Carpenter movie, it would just fail. And that would be a
0: disappointment. I think The Mind's Eye is much more trying to be a Cronenberg movie, which, because because again, it, it is, it very much is a Scanners uh, influenced movie. <laughs> I'm glad they kind of, it seems like he's gone away, got away from being so overt in terms of the references.
1: Yeah. I think also, uh, again, and I don't know how this happened, but uh his he hasn't made as many movies as i think people think he has Mm -hmm. like i think because he is sort of when he does make movies they get a certain amount of attention and because josh has edited a ton of movies and appeared in other people's movies like josh has a number of acting credits now not all of which in uh in uh in bigos movies that i think people uh People think, like, oh, Joe Bigos, he's made, like, a bunch of movies. Hasn't made that many movies, actually. And so I think that it's worth sort of noting um, it's interesting how much attention each of those movies has gotten, considering he doesn't have this massive back catalog of stuff.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah, I think because he released two in one year, maybe that—I mean, you know, five movies in a decade isn't too bad. That's pretty good.
1: Sure, 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 sure. But I I just think, like, the fact that, for me— bliss is what it is, which I really like that movie. That's only his third movie. So it's kind of cool that he's already sort of getting to a stride. Uh, Christmas bloody Christmas is not amazing, but I think his insights of like, I'm going to bring a cinematographer in who's going to be able to do, uh, night shoots on, you know, 16 millimeter and it's going to look a certain way. And I just think all of that, like, I I don't know. I, I think he's going in a good direction. Now there are plenty of directors who by their fifth movie, are like fucking, you know, making magic happen, right? But there right. are also directors that's not true for. Her. Some of their best movies came later. So I think I have a little bit of patience with the whole, with you know, with uh, him as a filmmaker because I think he's just kind of getting going. And
0: yeah, and when you get it out of your system, I mean, that's that's the way. That's the reason that you have early movies, right? Right, to right, get right, right. Bad right. habits out of your system.
1: And he still hasn't been given a major budget, right? Like no all these movies are low budge. He hasn't really like done anything big yet, even though Josh as an editor has worked on some huge movies really. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it'll, it'll be interesting to see, especially as they both kind of improve what they're doing, if they are continuing to work together, what their projects will look like in the future. I think that's interesting. Uh, but I got to say for this one, it very much, it, it, I would compare this to, um, it feels less like an Evil Dead, which is like a first movie. Oh, Was that his first movie? That was not his first movie. Who, Sam Raimi? Yeah. Was that
0: his yeah, first Yeah, I mean, movie? it was his first feature
1: length. He made oh, feature He before. made shorts. Well, and I guess that's the problem. This feels like a short by a director who started mm-hmm. off with no budget more than it feels like a feature length. And, yes. of, and of course, it only barely is a feature length. So I do wonder if instead of making a feature length with this script, if they had tried for a short that maybe it would have been a more effective short as a feature length. It's fine. It's certainly something if I saw it at a festival, I wouldn't be bummed, but I don't think it's like a hugely effective
0: movie. The funny thing of what you're saying is, you're, I agree 100%, except if it was a short instead of a feature, it probably would not have launched his career. Right. Uh, be 100%. A you're right. Is what did right. it, right? It's what made it. So, I mean, that's just, I, I, I really feel, I mean, you're right. Everyone should start making shorts first. And I'm sure Joe Bagus has some shorts as well, but it's just like, if you want the attention, it's still features only. And, and I mean, it's a sad thing because I love short films and I feel like they get short shrift. A lot of the time, this is a movie, Liam, that I appreciate more than I like it. You know, it's a very easy watch cause it's so short, but it's also a movie that where I'm watching and I'm like, this isn't doing anything that is blowing me away, but knowing that they did it for such a low budget and with so few resources, that's always something that I appreciate. And I think you can see talent there. That's obvious, obviously been developed elsewhere. So, You know, good for everyone involved, probably not one I'm going to be revisiting anytime soon.
1: I think that's fair. I think I feel similarly in the sense that, like, I liked it while I was watching it, but I couldn't imagine someone saying, hey, come over, we're going to watch Almost Human. (laughs) Like, I just don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Not going to
0: show at X-Fest the next time that you uh, attend? No, probably not. (laughs) Uh, If you want to attend Panic uh, Film Fest this year, it's taking place April 13th to the 23rd, and you don't have to go to Kansas City, Missouri to attend. You can actually attend virtually. Uh, Tickets, I think, um, I'm not sure if they're available yet, but you can check it out at panicfilmfest.com. Liam, two movies. We pitted them against each other. Is there a clear winner in your mind? It's funny because you didn't much enjoy the movie that... Uh, you chose <laughs> but it's got it's gotta still win
1: and no offense to uh Josh and Joe uh I like some of their other movies more it's just this is barely holding it together this is very much a low budget yeah. you know uh, seat of the pants kind of production it can't hold up to big bad wolves and while I'm you know I, I, I'm not in love with big bad wolves and I wish it worked better for me. It's still a really well-executed movie, and that's fine. When a movie can get to a point where the part that doesn't work for me is that intangible something, you know what I mean? Sometimes a movie works for you when the technicals don't work, right? Like, this movie's charming even though I know the script is bad or it's not always filmed well or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. This is the other way. Every objective thing, I think, for the most part, except for some of the dialogue, is well-executed in this movie – It's just that intangible something didn't click for me, and that's fine. It just is what it is, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, look, I hate to give you props, Liam, but obviously I like Big Bad Wolves more than you generally – I, I I think Almost Human is perfectly fine, but I think Big Bad Wolves just... And, and even aside from the technical levels, I just think it's a, a better written and better acted and just everything about it is something I would... And again, I've seen it twice now and uh, have enjoyed it both times. So um, I think that kind of says it all in regards to uh, my appreciation for it. Liam, somehow, despite not enjoying your own movie, you ended up winning this episode. I always Most do, Doug. I always do. <laughs> Liam, if people want to check out more episodes of Cinema Fantastica or tell me what's going on with Cinepunks, uh, give us a little update.
1: Well, of course, uh, if people head on over to Cinepunks.com, they're going to find you know uh, new episodes of uh, our flagship show Cinepunks, Horror Business, Twitch of the Death Nerve, Tomb of Ideas. I even saw a friend of the show, Mike Paulshock, last night. He swears that new episodes of Wine and Cheese are coming, so if you like... Uh, 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 cheesy movies and whiny music they, they got you covered on that one uh, and uh, if you go over to CinePunks or go over rather to Patreon.com backslash CinePunks check out our Patreon we've got a bunch of new Patreon content coming there's regular episodes of Lunch with Liam I've got a new music project starting with Adriana that's going to be fun so uh, check those things out if you just want updates on what's going on at CinePunks head on over to our social media C-I-N-E P-O-N-X at Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all those places suck, I know. But if, if you use them, why not make us part of what you're doing there? And, of course, Cinema Smorgasbord, Board, we have our own website. And if you go there, you can find archives of all the different things that we've covered. Uh, I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> Do you? <laughs> <laughs> I, think it, I, I think it's fine. No, I'm just kidding. Uh yeah, yeah. So check that out. And uh, we're on Twitter for now, I guess, at Cinema Smorg, S-M-O-R-G.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We have podcasts devoted under the Cinema Smortice Board umbrella devoted to such diverse topics as the career of Jackie Chan, Carol Kane, Steve Buscemi, Paul Bartel, Alejandro Jodorowsky, so much and more to come in the year 2023. Uh, If you enjoy what you're hearing, why don't you tell a friend or uh, subscribe on your podcast provider of choice, leave us a review. Anything you can do to help is always much appreciated. Hey, we don't have ads. We got to live somehow. Why don't you just let people know that this podcast exists? You can follow Liam on Twitter, at Liam Rules, that's R-U-L-Z. I'm on there as well, at Doug underscore Tilly, that's T-I-L-L-E-Y. But for now, Liam, we need to say goodbye to the Panic Film Festival in Kansas City, Missouri. We're going to be back very soon with another genre film festival favorite. Good night, everyone. See ya.